It's so good to be together today. Just fantastic. Um, getting ready for Easter. Uh, church is pretty much ready to go. Stefan's ready to go. We're pretty fired up. I mean, we've got a beautiful service for y'all. And um, But I wonder if you're ready. Uh, you got your heart in a good spot. Um, some of us are inviting family over or going over to family's house, trying to figure out how we're going to get along. Not long ago, I, I had a person come into my uh, office, said him having a situation with a family member, a sibling. Pastor, can you help me figure this out? And I said, well, how's it going? And the person said, well, this is pretty uptight and kind of angry. And uh, can, can you help me? So my injunction on getting along is from the uh, book of Ephesians, where it says, and the book of Romans chapter 12, where it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And I like that, right? We got to get along. We got to figure it out. We got to do our thing. And I like that. And, and, and I've carried that kind of culture into our church. If I got to bend over backwards, I'll bend over backwards rather than have a, a fight. Now, when it's time to fight, th then you got to fight, but it better be over something major, which means in our church, we don't quibble over little stuff, typically. But they're church, which is a ways from here, he's a Matthew 18 guy, which means if you offend me, then I owe it to you to come to you, to beat you up, to say, we're going to get along, dang it, and you're going to agree with me, and it's just so intense. And I'm like, well, you got to live at peace. You got to live a little, you got to give a little, they got to give a little, we got to get along, especially in home and family, right? Home and family, we we got to get along. We want our homes to be peaceful places, not, not when the garage door goes up and you pull your Maserati in the car and you say, uh, in the garage, you go, ah, but I don't want to go home. I don't want to be here. This is horrible and conflicted and yucky and, uh-uh. You want when your garage door goes up and you pull your Ferrari in? Come on. <laughs> you must all have a Ferrari. Now, I got a Ford truck. I love that. It doesn't fit in the garage. Um, but you want to open that garage door and just be at peace, right? <sighs> just feels good. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Um, I, want to, I want to bring up my PowerPoints and, and share with you a little bit this morning from uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2 and, and think through that a little bit and get after it. And if we could bring up my PowerPoints, that'd be great. What's wrong? It's me? Oh, there they are. I got to be expanded. Okay, that's what this means from the back thing. Okay, here we go. Play from start. I'm good. <laughs> you guys crack me up. All right, there we go. Thank you. Ta-da. I love that. Nice. <laughs> I'm down, Josh. I got it. So we've been going through the Gospel of John, and, and, and you've You've seen all of these things. Now, I want you to read this one with me because this is the point of the Gospel of John. Please read with me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John is continually showing us Jesus doing stuff. 
You got the wedding at Cana. You got all these people, all these things laid out. And at the end, what John wants for you and me is for us to stand at the foot of the cross and go, the guy on the cross is the Messiah, the Son of God, that Jesus. And so over the weeks, we've worked through the following pieces. We've worked through Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, which is where Jesus said, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, right? Not so God clobbered the world or God was angry with the world or God would, for God so loved the world, which is probably the first time that a generation of people had heard that. And that turned the religion of Nicodemus upside down. So there were the disciples who were kind of starting to nod their head and go, oh, that's pretty cool. That thing with Nicodemus, that deal at night, that was awesome. And then they, they went on to a place named Sychar in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And the disciples went to the 7-Eleven in Sychar to get some nachos and something to eat. And Jesus stays and visits with this woman at the well. And she's on the very edge of community. Jesus tells her, you've had five husbands. She's like, uh, yeah, right. Uh, how about those angels, right? So, so she's, and, and, and then Jesus opens up. He crosses the gender barrier, he, he, the ethnic barrier, the, the barrier of, of, of where her life has been, and he loves on her. And who believes the Samaritans believe? The, the, the scripture says at the end of John chapter 4, and this, the whole village came out to the well, and they all kind of nodded their heads. The disciples said, what's going on? You got water? You got all your stuff? <laughs> and then what are all these people doing here? And then it says they, they believed. Just shaking your head a little bit more like, that's right. That, that, that's right. I, I believe. And then John chapter 9, right? The man born blind. He's, he's at the edge of the city. He's hanging out. Everybody knows who he is. Jesus grabs him. He spits on the dirt. He makes a little mud, packs it on the guy's eye. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went, he washed, and he could see. And then the ruckus starts, right? The religious people are freaking out because Jesus did it on the Sabbath, and no one can do this, and you shouldn't do that. But, but how beautiful then, right? The man comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, are you familiar with this whole Messiah thing and the Old Testament and how this works, and do you know who I am? And the guy says, well, whoever the Messiah is, let me know so I can believe. And Jesus, I just picture Jesus with that man's hand, uh, head in Jesus' hands. He says, I who see you am he. And the disciples looked at one another, and they said, uh-huh. And the crowd that day looked, and they said, uh-huh. And yet there was one more piece that Jesus had, and that's the piece that pastor preached on last week, John chapter 11, where Jesus goes up to Bethany and he's late and Lazarus is dead. Jesus said, no, he's just sleeping. Mary and Martha say, no, he's dead. Martha comes out on the road and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that you will give me whatever I ask. And then Jesus says those marvelous words, do you believe? Martha answers, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says to her, do you remember? I am the resurrection and the life. And now, the city of Sychar, the city of, of Bethany, the whole thing of Jesus is getting out. 
And the disciples believe and the people believe and the entourage is bigger and bigger. And now they're going to go storm the castle and they're going to take, they're going to take Jerusalem. But they're not going to take it in the way that you would think. Because Jesus isn't going to go riding in on a, on a big white horse with shields and spears like the Romans. Nor is he going to go in with some kind of religious uniform and some kind of falderal. Rather, Jesus is going to go in humble on a donkey. These are written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by the process of believing, you would have life in the name of Jesus. And if you don't believe Lazarus, then next Sunday is your Sunday, because we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And that's the seal of life. That's a seal of, of what you believe. And so we're going to take just a little time out to kind of talk about attitude and, and, and where we're at. We're going to stop just a little bit short of Thursday worship and Friday worship and Sunday worship and kind of have a little attitude check and think a little bit about where we're going, what we've got hopping this next weekend, and how we get from Sunday of Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday afternoon. And I'm going to take a little running start at the Philippians verse uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Attitude. Attitude is everything. And I would struggle with people who say, but I can't control my attitude. Every morning I wake out of bed and I just want to be angry and uptight and all that stuff. You can affect and change your attitude. How do you know? Because you can. Here's five ways. Well, let me get with two struggles of attitude. The first struggle of attitude is selfish ambition. And everything kind of about what makes me look good and what makes me, puts me in a favorable light and all of those things. And then I want to make myself a better human being or perceive a better human being because I put myself ahead of you. And that's what St. Paul's talking about there. He's talking also then about personal prestige, about how my reputation can be better than yours by kind of putting you out of the spotlight and putting me, me in. And those struggles with attitude are just rough, right? You talk about getting along. It's, it's these kind of pieces that just rub us the wrong way to the point where almost if you're having Easter at your place or you're going with family, you say, my sister's good, my brother's good, my mom is good, the cousins are good, but insert name in your family there. And you're like, oh. And you go into the house and you're like, please don't talk to me, please. And, and, and who seeks you out immediately? And they use their own life as a, well, well, they'll ask you a question about yourself, and then they'll completely talk about themselves. Hey, how are you doing? Did you have a good morning this morning? Yeah, it was great. Well, let me tell you about myself. And you're like, come on, man. 
Give me a break. That's what Paul's talking about here. Selfish ambition, personal prestige, and, and concentration on self. That's what struggles and drains the attitude, makes it hard to live at peace with somebody, somebody else. But that was in Corinth. That was in Philippi. Philippi was wealthy. It was in the right place at the right time. It was named, uh, I mean, it was a, a capital building of the Alexandrian M of Alexander the Great. It was, it was a place to be. I mean, it was everything. It's where you stepped off to go into Europe. It was just the place to be. People were generous and loving. The church was great, but they were struggling to get along. Now, that's nothing like anything that we're possibly remotely aware of because Orange County is oh, wealthy. Orange County is a great place to live, right? Right time, right place. Sometimes we have little rifts in our congregation, rifts in our families. And yet this word from Paul from about, I don't know, 70, 65 AD, to me it speaks right to where we live. And I love that. I love that Philippi and Corinth could be St. John's and St. Paul's. It's just the coolest thing in the world. So here's a couple pieces of how to get along straight from Apostle Paul as you're preparing to get towards Easter. How do we get along? Paul says, remember that you are in Christ, and it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to be bitter towards others if we live in Christ. I love that, in Christ. We are in Christ. He is in us, and we are in Him. The whole piece of, of the Good Friday and the cross piece reminds us that we are in Christ, that God has sucked us into Himself, and that He loves us and cares for us so much that the breath we breathe is the breath of God into the relationships we have with others. You are in Christ. Your relationships are deeper. Your tolerance for dissonance and pain in relationships is different. And we live in a time and a place right now where people are so easily offended. It's crazy. But not us. There is a resiliency and a character to Christians that makes our community uniquely compelling. Remember that you are in Christ. And one of the things to look for in another person who comes to kind of pick an argument with you is the idea that it's very difficult to be in Christ and be bitter towards others. Their bitterness might single, might, might single out not a, a, a psychological issue, but a spiritual issue. Fascinating. How to get along? Well, Christian love. And Christian love is a shared love, and it takes work. And you get better at it as you exercise it more and more. As we love one another and we reach out unselfishly in love, we get better at it. Very, very difficult sometimes. I always used to struggle years ago when people would say, but you're a Christian, you have to. You have to do this. And I thought, no, I don't. You have to forgive me. Yeah, but you've been a complete jerk. But you you're a Christian. You're a Christian. You have to do this. That's not what this means. 
This means that our hearts as Christians are a little bit softer and a little bit more malleable. It, it means that we're able to keep our calm and keep perspective when we're in a conversation, when we're working and loving with someone. It means there's a, a longer road to get to mad and offended for a Christian than there is for seemingly everybody else in America. You call somebody the wrong name. You move someone the wrong way. You stand in the wrong place. In America, you poke and people go nuts. Not so in the church. And perhaps why that's the church in North America is having a renaissance right now. And people are finding that Christian community is compelling. I was out for 40 minutes between the services this morning. Best 40 minutes of my day, except for the 45 minutes of this sermon just messing right christian love is shared in community we were never meant to live as hermits in caves we are in christ loved of christ and called to share that love paul says have the same spirit so we share the holy spirit i love those words of inspiration and respiration and perspiration all of those are gathered by the idea of the spirit and the Spirit of God speaking to us in God's Word and leading us towards an understanding of who we are and what we're all about, providing a value system that allows us a sense of peace and wholeness that we can share in love with other people, have the same spirit. In our congregation, we should be able to, to go out and shake hands and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that while we, not, we may not agree on anything, that there's a common spirit among us. A spirit that reaches out and reaches in, that shakes a hand, that gives a hug, that says, you're welcome here and we love you and this is a good place to be. Jesus is here because the spirit's job is to point to Christ. Paul says, have the same spirit. And he talks about compassion. Again, with love, compassion is something that gets stronger and deeper as we exercise it one with another. It speaks to how we reach out to other people. What I struggle with and, and what I preached a little bit on last weekend was I feel. I feel, I feel, I feel. That if, if someone comes up to you and says, you know, I really feel bad, but they're not moving towards any sort of action, that's not compassion. That's laziness. And our culture loves that. Well, you know, I just feel so bad about those children with that thing and that deal. It, it, it's not compassion if you don't move. Compassion is impetus for action. It's when the heart goes out for action. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus, wedding at Cana, Jesus, man born blind, Jesus, woman at the well, his heart was moved and he acted or the Gospel of John would be a lot smaller. Christian hearts are moved in compassion with kindness and sympathy for others. Paul says, make my joy complete and have compassion for one another. I love the direction of our church as relates to the mission, the egg hunt, the work that you're doing, the amount of volunteers signed up for the next Sunday. That's what, that's what compassion begins to look like in a church, in a Christian community. Now, promise me you won't wrap me out to Pastor Trevor on this next slide, okay? Promise? I promise Pastor Trevor will not see this. <laughs> Young guys, listen to the old guys on this. Paul says, I'm your guy. He says, I've known you from the beginning of your church. I'm your guy. You know me. 
So, come on. One of the neatest things about our church is the diversity of age. Even in this setting, we've got children and families and old people like me. And you know what? God puts us in those places to get along, to be able to, 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 to learn from one another. Not long ago, I was able to recount some, some mentors that I had in my life. I'll never forget a, a, a tough meeting out here in, in the parlor. We had 35, 40 people in there. And I said the opening prayer, and then I took a breath and started to talk. And my friend Mark said, Pastor, you don't always need to be the first person to talk. <laughs> okay, shutting up. Right? Never forgot that. Never. Working with the chairman of the congregation, it came time to figure out where we were going to put a sizable amount of money. I started out and said, we need more stuff, and we need to spend that for stuff, and we need to do this. And he looked at me and said, we're not doing that. And I said, the heck, we're not. I'm the pastor. And he goes, we're not doing that. Right? Old guys, wise, lead and guide and have a marvelous place in community. Young guys have a marvelous opportunity in our congregation to walk in a way of wisdom. Look for some gray hair on the temple, a little hole in the back, <laughs> because there's some wisdom there. Paul is saying, I've lived a lot of life. Let's trust me, right? Trust me. Get along. That's kind of how, how it works. The rest of the story here was, was read. Just did a nice job reading that. Um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the very same as that of Jesus, Paul writes. And then he says, who being very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage in the old RSV, something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death on a cross. That's where we're going Thursday and Friday. All of those things he did, taking on the nature of a servant, becoming human, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus moved by compassion to give his life for the world. And then that marvelous piece that spins first down and then up. Therefore, God, notice Jesus didn't exalt himself. Isn't that fascinating? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, that is, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where we're going this week. All the way down into the grave and all the way back up. Death losing to life. Sin losing to grace. Judgment losing to mercy. Darkness losing to light. And God using this marvelous piece of, marvelous piece of Jesus to bring peace with God for us. I chose that picture of the thing being poured out because I want you to learn a, a word that you can use with others. The word is canonic, right? Can you say canonic? So in your conversations this week, you can say, you know, I believe in the canonic Christ, do you? 
And they'll go, my gosh, Robert, you're brilliant. Have you been studying Greek at your church? And you can say, why, yes, I'm quite fluent in Koine Greek, right? Kenotic, kenosis, being poured out. Jesus was poured out. He poured himself out for us to get along with humanity. His compassion moved to action. His heart full. But on Good Friday, he would give that heart, his hands, his feet, his side for you and me. The canonic, the, the poured out Christ. When someone asks you before church on Friday, what are you here to do? You say, well, we're here to celebrate the canonic Christ. And they go, what in the world is that? And you say, that's the Jesus that was poured out. That's the Jesus that was poured out for me. He spared no expense. He left nothing. He poured it all out for me. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for this passage, for an opportunity to just pause for a few moments, take a few deep breaths, to know that we are in you and that your spirit resides in us. Bless us as we move from this afternoon into the week. Guide us in everything we say and do. We pray that all the preparations for Easter are fabulous. Uh, the, the coloring eggs and buying gifts and hiding eggs from children and, and the kids getting up and, and just laughing and shrieking all over the homes, the backyards, all of that. We just pray that that would be the best thing in the world. Lead us back to the cross. Lead us back to the tomb and lead us to your glorious resurrection. We know the rest of the story, Lord. We got it figured out. We're your people and, and you're our God. You've sealed that covenant with the life of your son. So as we take some moments now to, to pray and to reflect, we pray that, that, that we would open our hearts to you and that you would hear those pieces of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.